All right, so here's the deal tonight. Uh, you know, last week we started this series called Shattered, right? Um, and we looked at the way that uh, life falls apart sometimes, um, specifically when it's our fault. You know, sometimes it's just on, it's just on me, man, you know? Sometimes I make choices, um, and those choices are contrary to God's will, and that's called sin. And there's consequence for that. And we looked at the way that God's grace collides with our sinfulness and brings redemption, puts us back together again. But sometimes, um, if we're being real honest, life is really hard uh, of no fault of our own. Sometimes things just get really messy, and there's external forces um, that just don't go our way. And and tonight, what I wanted us to have a chance to think about and think through is the way that God is at work in the midst of our turmoil. Where God is when everything around you falls apart, when it shatters. Where's God in that? I know that a lot of us, or almost probably all of us, everybody in the room probably has a story like that. Um, we can all, uh, we could probably all sit around and, and share our stories um, and talk about the way that um, things have fallen apart in our lives from time to time. And, uh, and we could probably, a lot of us in the room could talk about the way that God saw us through those things. Um, I've, uh, we asked one of our students, Aaron, Aaron Roberts, she's one of our seniors, um, to share her story. It's a story that probably a lot of you in the room uh, don't know, but it's a story that I think all of us could identify with uh, when there's just things that go wrong and things go from bad to worse. So Aaron, is, uh, Aaron shared her story with us on video. Um, and so we've got a kind of a long video because it's a good story um, that, that we're going to watch together. And it's a story of, uh, of life falling apart. God's seen us through. And after that, we're going to begin looking at God's word together. So um, if you'll, if that person, uh, there's lots of murmurs tonight, and there's a lot of you, and that's cool, but um, it takes a lot of courage to share your story, especially a, a difficult story on, on video like that. So uh, as best you can, I want you to be really respectful. Um, and try not to talk or text or whatever it is you want to do right now, okay? So it's just going to be you and the screen, and we're going to look at God's word together. So guys, let's see it. I'm Erin, and I'm a senior at Spartan High School, and I have an eating disorder. I did uh, everything that a normal kid would do. I played tons of sports. I ran around outside and rolled down in the mud and played with dolls and all the weird normal stuff. <laughs> well, I was saved when I was six years old, and I remember when I just went up to my dad, who was upstairs in the bathroom, and I was like, so dad, uh, well, what do you think about me going and becoming a Christian? And I remember him just getting up and just yelling through the bathroom door. So that was, that was pretty awesome for a six-year-old. And when I was baptized a couple weeks later, I just knew something was definitely majorly different and would be for forever. So around eighth grade, I got into a relationship with a guy that really, really was not good for me at all. Through the relationship, it completely shook my faith. So from eighth grade to ninth grade, I developed a lot of body image issues and a lot of um, self-confidence. I had very, very, very low self-esteem. So and that really, really impacted my faith as well. 
So around ninth grade, uh, I started to develop an eating disorder, which later was diagnosed as anorexia nervosa. To have an eating disorder, it feels like trying to grasp control and safety and security when there's none in your life, but really it's you are losing control is a world of insecurity and complete and utter danger. Um, starting my 10th grade year, things just snowballed. They didn't get any better. It got a um, hundred times worse. Most people think when you have an eating disorder, it's all about trying to look better and be just perfect in your physical body, but it's all emotion. It's all mental. It's endless, endless amounts of stress while you're trying to make sure you have perfect grades in school, you are doing all the right things with your friends, you're um, being who you're supposed to be at school and church. Um, while also trying to make sure no one finds out what you're doing. Through my eating disorder, I developed severe anxiety problems um, to the point where they would create physical symptoms that were uh, disabling to me. And that's a constant, constant daily thing I have to deal with now. Um, through ninth and 10th grade, largely I was in a deep depression that you don't feel anything. You cut off all emotion that you have. You purposely block everything out and bury it so that no one sees it. You put on a mask and you wear that every day. About a year ago, I got to a low that made me realize when you know that you hate yourself so much that you know logically the Lord of heaven and earth loves you more than anything, but because of that self-hate, you don't fully believe it. Tenth grade, D-Now, um, I had a mentor that was probably saved my life to a very large degree. Uh, Emily Hughes, actually. She was my D-Now leader that year. I remember the whole weekend I was thinking, I should probably say something about this. I should, I should probably, you know, get her opinion on what I should do about where I'm at right now. And so on our one-on-one -on -one session, I just told her everything about all of my struggles with food, with body, with hating myself, with just the utter depression and feeling no joy in life and um, I remember she prayed with me. After D-Now, uh, she, Emily and I kept in touch and she continued to encourage me in my walk and to just always touch base with me at least at least every other day and she kept pushing me and pushing me to tell, talk to my mom about this because she said um, it wasn't all in my head. I really did honestly have a problem that needed to be addressed um, and that all of my fears were um, irrational and that God would be able to take care of it if I would just let him. But the first step would be to go ask for help. 
you think that it's showing weakness when you ask for help, but really it's not. When you actually get up the courage to ask for help, you've never been stronger. Through Emily's encouragement and some other friends um, supporting me, I went and talked to my mom about it, and um, about a couple, about a week later, I started therapy and began my road to recovery from anorexia nervosa. So over the next two years, I learned immense amount of things about me and God and how our relationship should actually work. Um, I learned that you can you can pray all you want about um, different things, like pray God to change me, um, help me see myself how you see me. That was something I prayed. I don't know how many days before I went to school, and I would come home and feel terrible about myself and wonder, like, God, why? I've, I've prayed this so long. I don't know why I'm not any different yet. And it took me a long time to realize that you have to actually be open to God's leading and changing you. That was, that was a major thing I learned through my recovery. Through it all, I also learned that freedom is something you can only get through God. You think you're trying to do that by trying to control everything and making sure you're safe and everything's going smoothly for you, but really, God's the only one that can give you the true freedom that comes with not worrying. Recovering from anything takes a lot of effort. There's going to be all kinds of roadblocks that are from you and what you're battling with to things that are just that come up in the world but you have to just realize that long term there there is a goal and it's overall healing some things you should look for if you are worried that your friend or you might be developing an eating disorder um, there are multiple kinds there's the top three are anorexia um, bulimia and then there's uh, ednos which is eating disorder not otherwise specified some typical signs are uh, they become withdrawn, they lose interest in things they normally love to do, they become uh, just antisocial to a degree, um, they talk negatively about themselves, they might make light of it, but really they actually mean what they say about themselves, even though they may be making it as a joke. Um, their, their food intake may change either drastically or um, slowly, because eating disorder is a coping mechanism. It is, it is real, it is an actual disease, and it needs treatment and help. It can't be overcome just by snapping out of it. You actually have to get help for it. So if you're worried that you may be developing an eating disorder or have any other issues that you're really struggling with, asking for help is it's hard but it is so, so worth it. It, will, it could ruin your life if you don't. So I stress to you to please go ask, go ask for help. Talk to an adult that you trust or a friend that you know can help you get to an adult. So no matter what you're going through, I just want you to know God will see you through.
Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for uh, being bold enough um, to share your story with us. Uh, I don't know how many of us in the room would have had enough courage to do that. Um, so uh, thank you. Thank you. I think, I think Aaron's story is a story that all of us can identify with in some way or another, um, where uh, things just sometimes spiral out of control. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it's internal to us, sometimes it's external to us, but it's not our fault. And we find ourselves in a position where we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to run to God. We don't want to run to our parents or a friend. We just want to ball up inside and not do anything about it. I think when, when difficult things happen, when trials come, uh, that's one of the most pivotal moments for a believer. And the way we, re, we, the way we respond in those situations um, will determine the kind of faith and the kind of relationship we're going to have with God for the rest of our lives. Erin turned to her parents and she turned to God. Um, so we're going to look into God's word tonight. And we're going we're to see what it has to say about uh, situations like that and where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and how we can have hope in the midst of the darkness. Um, the Bible is very clear about one thing. One thing in particular that we're going to talk about tonight is clear about a lot of things, but just for our conversation. It's clear about the fact that trouble will come. That being a believer does not guarantee you a happy, uh, easy, um, carefree little life. That you following Jesus is not the, the fix-all to your problems. Um, if anything, uh, it may be the opposite to that. But I was very clear that trouble will come. Like in, in John 16, 33, it's one of, one of these beautiful passages. It says, um, I've said these things. This is Jesus speaking. I've said these things to you, speaking about the gospel, that in me you may have peace. It says, in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus promises us, John 16, 33, that we will face trouble, terrible times, that they are coming, that if you can't immediately identify with the depth of Aaron's story, that one day you will, that, you, that tribulation is going to come. Even as I glance around the room, man, I, I, I know some of your stories. I know where you've been. But for the rest of you that maybe hadn't been there yet, he promises us, Jesus, out of his own mouth, in the world you will have tribulation. He goes on to say, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In James 1, uh, 2, and 3, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He says, when you meet trials. You're going to encounter this stuff. Life is not going to be pretty and easy and like a Disney fairy tale or something. Our world is a broken, messed up place. And that's going to have an impact on you. Just about a show of hands and kind of a... Um, show of solidarity. How many of you have gone through a shattered time? Where do we go? What does God's word have to say in those moments when life gets far too real? I want to pray for us um, before we look at two very specific things that God's word has to say. So let's, let's pray together. Father, um, In my time in student ministry, or just my time around, um, I've seen far too many people encounter these kind of trials and this kind of tribulation 
moments when life falls apart. Instead of running to you, they run from you, and they find themselves angry and distant. They walk, across, they walk away from their faith um, because they think that you've abandoned them. Knowing that all of us in this room are going to hit these kind of moments, I pray for us that we would, we would see in your word um, the response that we're to have to difficult times so that when they come, they will not destroy us. That when they come, your will will be done. So in your name we pray. Amen. So there's, there's two general areas I want us to look at tonight about the way that we can find um, a response in God's word to dealing with times of trouble. The first one's just in the moment. Now, this is not primarily where the Bible directs its attention. We're going to talk about the primary thing that the, the Scripture speaks to in a second. But, but the Bible is very clear that in the midst of trial, we have, we have at least one hope. When everything's dark, when everything's falling apart, when life shatters around us, there's at least one thing that we can rely on. And it's the fact that God will not leave us. His promises time and again in Scripture that he will not leave or forsake us. It's the, it's the Daniel 3 story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Where they're trying, they're trying to stand up for their faith, and there's this king who's made a decree. And these three guys who are trying to stand up for their faith in God are thrown into this, um, like, boiler, huge furnace thing. And when the king looks in, it's not three guys anymore. It's four. The very presence of God is, is standing in their midst with them. That's the image that always comes to my mind. That's the, that's the kind of the, the foothold in Scripture where, where I think back when when everything seems to be falling, falling apart around me. I think back to that moment when, when God's standing right there in the flames, right there with him. That's, how, that's what I imagine tangibly God doing with me. God's promised that, that no matter what, come what may, that he's not gonna leave you. That if everybody else leaves you, if everybody turns their back on you, no matter what happens, that he's going to be standing right there in the flames alongside you. But the reality is that the, that that doesn't make the pain any less, does it? There is a comfort there. There is, there, is, there, is this, there is a level of strength that comes just knowing that God's there with you, but those trials are still going to come. And with them, they always come with that question of why. Why is this happening to me? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why didn't God prevent this from happening? If God is powerful enough to stop it, why didn't he? I'm glad he's there with me, but, but why? Ultimately, what I think we look for in the midst of a difficult time is, is purpose, is meaning for all of it. Because so many times the things that happen to us seem so meaningless. And students, that's where the Bible directs most of its attention concerning trials and times like that. It directs its attention to a forward-looking approach. There's a lot of passages that have like this, like James 1 and 2, uh, James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, 2 and 3 is, is a key one, but, but my favorite is 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. And here's the principle that I think we're going to find in Scripture. And if you're taking notes, or even if you're not, write this down. This is the principle that we're going to see in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. You ready? God makes the terrible meaningful. That's the principle of 1 Peter 1, 6-7. God makes the terrible meaningful. He doesn't cause it, doesn't bring it about, 
but he grabs hold of it and he turns it to be something useful, something meaningful in the long run. That's God's promise throughout scripture where he says that there's gonna be, trials are gonna come, but, but hang on, I've, I've got this. I've got a purpose in this. God makes the terrible meaningful. So 1 Peter 6, uh, 1, 6 through 7, it begins. Um, in 6a, it says, in this re- you rejoice. The first little chunk, it says, in this you rejoice. It's, it's pointing backwards. So in uh, verses 3 through 5, it, it describes our salvation. I'm not in 1 Peter. I need to be over there. So in verses 3 through 5, it, it, it tells us in, what, in the thing that we rejoice in. Um, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter points back to the core of what we believe that we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus, that he's given us a hope, not just for this life, but for life eternal, a hope that is, can, cannot, is un, it's undefiled, it's unfading. He's, he's reminding us where our treasure is, this eternal treasure that we have in Christ. He says, in that you rejoice. So many times I, I, that's, that's not true of us. That's not what we rejoice in. We rejoice in the things that are here and now, the things that can fade. All of our hope and joy gets tied up into something else other than that great salvation. Like a boy or a girl. And that thing, that, that, that person or whatever, that thing that we put all of our hope and all of our thrust into um, falls away. Our world falls apart. God reminds us at the beginning of this passage that our hope, our joy, our foundation is to be found in one thing, one thing only, and that's our great hope, our salvation, the fact that we've been born again in the person of Jesus Christ. And that we rejoice, and that we place our hope. So that's where we begin. It says, in this hope you rejoice. It says, although for a while you've been grieved by various trials, now, we've, we've, we've said this a few times tonight. I want to make sure you're very clear with me. Trials is not sin. That's not what this is talking about. This is external forces coming to bear. We, we, we live in a, we've talked about how we, we live in a broken world. We live um, post-fall. In Genesis 3, when, you know, with the fall of mankind, and Adam and Eve eat, eat that apple and they bring sin into the world. It doesn't just twist um, them. It doesn't just distort them. It distorts creation. And, and creation's not as God intended it to be anymore. And sin ravages God's creation throughout time, and things just are bad. This is not the kind of world that God intended it to be. This is a world very broken by sin. And because of that, things happen. Things happen that God never intended to be the kind of things that do happen. Because of sin, our world is broken. And because of that, there's external forces sometimes that act upon us and shatter everything around us. For a while, you've been grieved by various trials. That word grieved is, is interesting to me. Um, grieving essentially for, for me means uh, this 
deep hurt or brokenness over. There's probably a lot of ways you can define the word grieved, but, but I think that, that there's something very deep and there's something very painful and there's just, it's a it's a process of process of things falling apart and having to work through it. So it talks about we have this great hope even though sometimes we are grieved by these various trials. All of us have our stories, man. I mean, Aaron, we have Aaron's story that probably some of you in the room, maybe if you've never even talked to somebody about it, you completely identify with. When she's listing symptoms and attributes, that sounds exactly like where you've been. Some of you struggle with a deep-seated depression that just doesn't seem to go away where you try to be happy and you try to force through and get your game face on before school, but it's not real. You don't know how to get rid of it. You don't know what to do. You don't talk to people about it, but it's there. Some of you, man, there's, some of you just have struggled with some really severe illness stuff and physical limitations and it's been bad. I, I know in, in my family, I, I mean, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, stage four breast cancer when I was uh, 17. And mom battled that for two years and survived it. But it was a rough two years. And I remember my friends coming and getting me and um, right after mom was first diagnosed and uh, just took me to go see a movie. Um, that was the most powerful gesture. It just said, hey, I know you want to get your mind off of this. So they took me to some probably stupid Will, Will Ferrell movie or something. And everything was broken. I didn't want to think about it. And my friends were there. Um, my dad got hit by a truck a couple weeks ago. Literally nailed by a truck. He was riding his bike. and got hit by a, um, a lawn care truck. Going like 50. Like threw him down the street. I got to go down to Tuscaloosa, we, Jessica and I throw all of our stuff in the back of the car and um, our kid, he's back there rolling around somewhere and uh, we drive to Tuscaloosa and we show up and um, my, my dad had uh, been discharged by some idiotic ER doctor and he was at my house uh, laying in bed and I go in and uh, he just looks like death. Uh, and then we, we try to get him up to help him go to the bathroom and you know, like passes out or seizes or whatever and just can't keep him conscious. In those moments, man, you ask why. My mom's the sweetest little person in the world. Why is my mom, mom going to be diagnosed with stage four breast cancer? Why her? My dad just like, I mean, all, all, all he cares about in the world is loving on people. Why is he the guy that gets hit by a truck out in the middle of nowhere? You all have your stories. We all have our stories of every, when everything falls apart and nothing's okay anymore. We are grieved by all kind of various trials. Some of you have gone through divorce. Some of you have gone through loss. Some of you have lost friends. Some of you have lost siblings. Some of you have lost parents. Grandparents, you've, you've, you've felt it. You've felt the brokenness. You've grieved through these kind of trials. To our passage, it says, In this rejoice, though for a while you've been grieved by various kind of trials. 
So we've talked about how he walks through it with us, but he goes much further than that. And the core of it is in verse 7. Look, look, I want you to look at it with me. First, first Peter 1, verse 7. It says this. It says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, that's more valuable than gold that perishes, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Here's how God makes the terrible meaningful. This is, this is God's promise to it out of Scripture, to make the terrible meaningful. This is what he does. He uses it to strengthen your faith in the thing that matters most. He ultimately uses it to draw you closer to himself. That tested genuineness, I like, I, it reminds me, of, um, reminds me of infomercials. They always, I love in like infomercials, especially for like guy kind of stuff. There, there's always like a load limit or a, like a stress test they put things through. Like, uh, what's that spray? There's a picture of it. Um, what's that spray that like, the, that guy? What's that stuff called? Flex Seal. I don't trust Flex Seal at all until I see that guy sitting in that boat. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can spray it on her, you can spray it on her Coke can. It's like impenetrable by, you know, asteroids or whatever. Like, because it's been tested and proven to be genuine, all right, maybe I need to buy some Flex Seal, you know? That's why, that's why Toyota did this next one. Strapped it to a spaceship and towed it down a road. They're like, you want some proof that my truck can pull pretty much whatever? All right, here's like a, hundred ton spaceship or something. I'll pull a spaceship down the road. Look what I can do. You know, Chevy's like pulling boulders around some fake boulder field. And like, I literally pulled a spaceship. (laughs) It's been tested. It's legit. It pulled a spaceship. It can haul your camper or whatever. You know, we don't, we don't think of things as being genuine until they've actually been tested. It's one thing to say that my truck can pull a spaceship. It's another thing entirely to strap that bad boy up and hit the gas. It's one thing to know that your faith is genuine once it's been tested. It's one thing to say, man, yeah, you know, I, I've got a faith. I, you know, I believe in Jesus. It's another thing entirely to have seen God pull you through the depths of darkness, like Aaron told us about that. Well, that last line. God will pull you through. Think about the faith that we can have coming out of the kind of situations we go through. Where we see God proving himself to be faithful. Where we see God standing with us in the flames. And we come out the other side of it with this faith that's been tested and proven to be genuine. That's what that line about the gold is talking about. Gold is refined in fire. It goes through something very, very intense and the impurities are swept out of it. That's the way God uses the difficulties that we go through in our lives. It purifies our faith. And it ends, it says, so that we can, it'll result in praise and honor and glory when Jesus appears. Difficult times are going to come. It's inevitable. It's been promised. I can tell you this, that God doesn't cause the terrible 
but he does make it meaningful. He stands with you in the flames and he gives it long-term purpose. Where he's going to drag you through. He's going to be there with you. And he's going to give you a proven, genuine faith because of it. It doesn't make the pain any easier. It doesn't make the hurt go away. It doesn't heal the wounds. But it does make it meaningful. And in the broken world that you and I live in, that's a lot. It's a lot to have meaning in the midst of our trials. You're going to go to your small groups and you guys are going to talk. Um, if it's your first time with us in Greenhouse, uh, these small groups are not supposed to be super uh, intense and asking about all of your deepest, darkest struggles. Um, your small group, may, if there's things like that that you want to talk about, your small group probably isn't the best time to do that. Um, but your friends and your small group leaders are going to be here for a long time tonight. So at any point you need to, you can pull one of them aside um, and say, hey, can we talk? Uh, don't let that opportunity pass you by tonight. Let's pray, and then you guys are going to break up into your groups. Um, God, I, I know for... Um, can almost like feel the weight of uh, our struggle collectively adding story upon story of brokenness and hurt and pain but across this room Father um, every one of those stories uh, has been matched can be matched to a story of you drawing us closer and closer into a relationship with you showing yourself to be faithful showing yourself to be capable of putting things back together and giving our life purpose. Thank you for the way that you stand with us. Thank you for the way that you give the terrible meaning. In your son's name I pray. Amen.